Hey guys, welcome to the 56th episode of Just Shoot It, a podcast about filmmaking, storytelling, and directing. We're two working directors in Los Angeles discussing the ups and downs of our careers with new and veteran directors. I'm Warren Kaplan. And I'm Matt Utlow. Today we've got Eric Kissack. He's a veteran of Just Shoot It. He has cut movies that you love and seen. Certainly I love them. Starting with Stella way back in the day, but doing movies like The Dictator. Role Models. Bruno. Cedar Rapids. Cedar Rapids. He did... Uh, Daddy's Home. Daddy's Home. And then, as listeners will remember, had a short film on the Saatchi list and kind of was blowing up as a commercial director. Now he's editing TV and he's entered that world. And he's such a thoughtful, smart guy. We thought, oh, this will be a really interesting conversation to learn what Eric has been up to over the course of this last year. Yeah, he was editing NBC's The Good Place and now he's editing HBO's Veep. And he's going to tell us about how he got to that and how that's going to hopefully lead to him directing some TV episodes. I can't wait to talk to Eric. But first, Oren, what have you been working on lately? Well, it's the new year and, you know, it's a a slower time in Hollywood. Everyone's just kind of gearing up during the first week of January. One thing I did find out a couple days ago is that the show I directed a year ago, last January, Miss 2059, got renewed by Verizon Go90. You know, the interesting thing as a director for hire is that I have absolutely no idea if I'm going to be involved or not. I was emailing with the producer and the showrunners. The showrunners have a better chance of being involved than me. And of course, the creator, Anna Akana, who's been on our show, will definitely be involved since she's the actress that plays the main character and she created the show. But right now, it's just kind of a waiting game to see if they want me back or not. Regardless, at least there's a little bit of validation that they're they're bringing the show back. It means someone must have liked it. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think uh, in Hollywood, oftentimes there's a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it sort of mentality. So, you know, you're obviously the easiest choice. And Miss 2059 is kind of a complicated show. Like it's hard to find a person who can deliver on a budget and also do comedy and also do special effects. So that's all pretty tricky. You know, I think the the biggest bummer about doing digital stuff because you know budgets are really great now and like there's a ton of opportunity but it's a it's kind of a bummer that like you don't have the leverage to contract in like a second season you know like you were so instrumental like everyone else on the creative team but you know you were instrumental in the success of that first season and so you know if you're not asked to do the second season and another director is profiting off of that that's that's a bummer you know what i mean and i think oftentimes dga jobs will kind of have those sort of provisions built in or you'll get some sort of producer credit or a kickback or something but in this new wild west of digital stuff oftentimes that's a bigger ask than companies are willing to acquiesce to yeah for sure my reps asked for that and i don't think we got it (laughs) yeah yeah i think people can kind of strong arm us which is a bummer. Yeah. But well, oftentimes people are pretty good about just honoring it out yeah. of goodwill. Well, we, I will keep you informed as to what happens. But before I find out what happens, I would really like to know what you've been working on lately. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. I think stuff is kind of heating up for me scripted wise. But I wanted to talk about, I've had two instances where I had shows that were very close to going. One that I'd sold myself and then one that I had interviewed on that were going and then um, due to kind of some corporate shakeups were canceled. And so I think it's interesting to talk about just because, you know, in both situations, like I kind of did everything 
more or less as good as you could, right? Like things were going really well. Everyone was really clicking. And then uh, just because like somebody's boss got fired and or replaced or something, you know, divisions were moved around or canceled or, you know, all sorts of kind of crazy corporate stuff that like I kind of keep track of more or less, but I'm not like a deadline addict, you know? And so it's interesting how that stuff has this trickle down sort of effect on all of us and how, you know, it's a here today, gone tomorrow sort of thing. In the instance where I had the show that I was had created and sold, I had delivered the series on a Friday, great notes call, hung up the phone and literally said to my wife, like, oh, I think I'm going to have a green light in like two weeks. And then that Tuesday, the division did not exist. <laughs> Yeah, it was all in your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, some real St. Elsewhere shit right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's crazy. No, sucks. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it, it was a bummer for sure. But I think the reason I bring it up is just because like, you know, on the development side, like I was a part of like four or five reorgs, you know, and like there were shows that we all loved and were great. But like all of a sudden when a company's, you know, mandate shifts, if it doesn't fit that criteria anymore, you know, we're, we're sorry. Like that's just how the cookie crumbles. And so, um, you can't take it personally, certainly. And like, you know, you just kind of have to keep trucking on. Fortunately, the rights reverted back to me. So I think I'll probably, we'll see if I take the show out or not. It depends on, you know, the rest of the year, but, but yeah, it, it can be that easy guys, you know, and I would say the, the show that I sold is probably the best thing I've ever written. Yeah. I think oh, it's wow. probably the best. So, well, yeah. luckily you own it now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is frankly, you know, pretty generous of them. So, uh, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see what happens with that stuff, but that's how it goes guys. In the meantime, let's dig in and talk to Eric. Cool. Hey Eric, how's it going, man? Uh, I'm good. Welcome to the podcast. Just shoot it. It's been uh, a year since we spoke last, I think, right? Wow. I've lost track of all time, but sure. Yeah, then, then it for it. makes sense. You, you know, everyone's just kind of in uh, behind a computer in a black room, basically. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I think you were on the panel episode most recently. I was. Right? I was. That was a lot of fun. Casting, right? Yeah. I am. Casting. Yeah. Yeah. So, Eric, you've had a busy year, man. You're editing some of the coolest TV shows. Thank you. Um, well, we should probably uh, yeah. we should we should back up a little bit because yeah, because because the last time I was here, I wasn't editing. Sure, that's true. Yeah, I was just I was just focusing on the directing, and now I'm editing. So yeah, so let well let's back it up. So you last we spoke, you were on the Sachi list, right? You had the the short, the gunslinger, gunfighter, gunfighter. Pardon yeah. me, yeah, no with Nick Offerman, mm-hmm. right? The weary gunfighter walked slowly through the saloon. The long miles from Cheyenne had taken their toll. Who's saying that stuff? He scanned the room with a suspicious eye. Years of being on the wrong side of the law had taught him that a tough man can get out of a situation, but a smart man never gets himself into one. Please quit doing that. I just want to have a shot of whiskey in peace. But the gunfighter would find no peace, for the Henderson boys were waiting in the corner to kill him for the $200 bounty on his head. Is that true? You boys trying to kill me like this voice is saying? Uh, no. Lied the oldest Henderson boy. I directed this short film called The Gunfighter, and it sort of did well in the world. It, it, it was like a lot of people who watched it online. A lot of agents and producers and managers who saw it and, mm-hmm. you know, got a lot of meetings. 
It was and then a, Vimeo staff pick, which was kind of the pick. step one for. Yep. Yep. And then it ended up a bunch of film festivals and then it ended up getting on the, the Saatchi new directors list. New directors. Yeah. New directors. Which sort of was like my intro into the commercial world. And so I got commercial representation and it sort of felt like, you know, it was like, okay, I'm on, I'm on the way. And you did like maybe some beer spots as a result. Is that right? Yeah. So I did, um, after I got signed, I ended up doing a, a European beer spot. And a couple spots for lactate, which I've seen them all. I see them on TV. They, all the time. they play a lot. Yeah, yeah with the yeah. cows, the cows, the annoying cow, the, annoying and the cow. nice cow. Yeah, you're doing God's work, man. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. And uh, did a, did a few uh, Toyota commercials. Oh wow, which is fun. Car commercials, you know. And so it sort of like kind of felt like okay, well, I'm I'm being paid. I'm a working director now. Sure, you yeah, know, which is the dream. National know? spots, national spots. Yeah, and a couple things happened. One, I decided that I didn't really like commercials very much mm. um <laughs> but but you know that went hand in hand with fewer and fewer commercials being offered to me <laughs> so sure, sure. it wasn't purely just a just a, a moral choice or anything and is it, it's fair to say i'm assuming for a lot of us like you like commercials and you like working but you don't see that putting 100 percent of your creative passion into mm-hmm. commercials will be as fruitful as if you manage to get into tv or film I think I think that I would even go further as to as to say that I find most of the process of getting and then executing the commercials to be unpleasant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you want to dig in on that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, basically, the process of getting commercials is is fairly brutal. I mean, mm-hmm. you're basically writing a very extensive treatment. Pretty much every commercial job you write, I'm, I'm looking at you guys as if you don't know this but I really sure, sure. do but I'm just you know uh, <laughs> you write this fairly extensive treatment and you're, you're doing a lot of work you're basically mapping out how exactly you would make the commercial and I know it sort of sounds like a little bit like like kind of crybaby like like oh you have to do all this work to get the job but it's very taxing. it's very draining I mean mm-hmm. you're you know you spend a lot of time and energy and then you're always up against at least two other people mm-hmm. and so you know two out of every three times you do it, you don't get it. You know, I mean, you know, I was actually, I was actually doing better than that. I was getting like between 40 and 50% of the things that I was going for. But even that, it was just like, like heartbreaking when, mm-hmm. when you don't get it. And then if you don't get two or three in a row, you just, it's like, you know, it's, it's hard to go on. I know. Right. It's and, and a lot of times you get very little feedback about why you right. didn't yeah. get it, you know? And I, to me, like when I'm, you know, writing treatments for commercials, it's always like, should I go out on a limb? Should I, should mm-hmm. I pitch like a really big, bold idea mm-hmm. or should I pitch basically exactly what they told me mm-hmm. that they want, you know? And if I don't get it, it, regardless of what I picked, I always like, I'm so upset that I didn't go the other yeah, way. You and, fucked up. You did the wrong thing. Yeah. Am I allowed to curse in this podcast? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, we are, but you're not. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Eric, take that, take that up, please. Yeah. <laughs> so that was part of it. And then, and then the other thing was that even when I did get it, you know, it kind of felt like I was the only person who was there to make something funny or good or Special. good, yeah. you know, and, and it sounds harsh, but I mean like, and it's not even that, that it's not what I'm trying to say is not that I was the only person who knew how to do something funny or good. It was just that everyone else had other overriding concerns, like how the product looked, you know, what the background colors were because, oh no, blue is Honda and red is Toyota. So you, you got to change that whole set, you know, and like, like things like that, you know, creative directors who are incredibly talented but who are obsessed with props mm-hmm. you know because that's their thing you know and you're just like that does that really matter you know but to them it does and that's the only thing that matters yeah is pleasing is pleasing them you know i think there's also 
as people who decided to become directors, you kind of like as a kid, you think like, oh, you're the boss. Like, I want to be the boss. I want to make the decisions. I want to like weigh in and not not because you're bossy, but because like, you know, maybe you have a sense of vision or like purpose or something like that. You want to make something special. Right. And I think in commercials in particular, you're really, I always say, you're the middle of the sandwich. Like there are so many yeah. people who are way more important or and have more of a say and more authority than you. And so it does sometimes be become demoralizing when you kind of just feel like you're following through on their vision and their mm-hmm. orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not to say that, you know, if 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 you stick with it and you become Frederick Bond or, you know, some like top A-list director that you're not, bringing a lot of more of your creative vision to it, you know, and, 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 you know, I mean, if I had stuck with it for X number of years, you know, maybe it would have gotten to a point where it was like, I was just trusted a lot more. Mm -hmm. And then that was more fun, you know, but I think it just, it was sort of like the combination of, of just not being completely convinced it was worth it and just getting few opportunities, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and part of the reason for that was essentially that there is a huge heat element in, mm-hmm. in commercials and in, in everything in film and television. But I think in commercials more than the other fields where I had heat coming off of the gunfighter coming off of the Sachi thing and people were hiring me because of that heat, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I did good work in right. the interim, but it wasn't enough to like keep the heat going, right. you know, and that was, unfortunate and a bummer you know yeah. <laughs> it was sort of like contributed to my sort of feeling of sort of of like you know this is maybe right. not for me right well when all like jobs are just coming in you know right and left it's easy to just be distracted right and when inevitably everybody always will have some sort of lull that's when you kind of get reflective right exactly. and then it's like exactly. you decide oh is this worth it or isn't it yeah exactly. and those lulls i mean it's not like they're rare it's like they always come. If you ever yeah. have heat, you will always have a lull yeah. afterwards. Yeah. And I just signed with two new production companies and they were so excited. Oh, the sales agents love your stuff. And then for two weeks, nothing, no one is into me. And so they call me and they're like, hey, can we recut your thing? So you have that two and a half minute video. Let's mm-hmm. cut a 30 out of it. Let's do right. It's like all of a sudden you feel like no one is interested in you at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, and then two things come in in a row and you're just like, I'm on top of the world. I mean, that was part of the, that was actually, it's like that philosophically was a big part of it because I started to realize that personality wise, I don't know that I'm cut out for that constant, like, okay, it's Monday. What is this week going to look like? Mm -hmm. You know? And that's a big thing that I think like all of us as directors have to figure out how much of that we can tolerate. Yeah. What what do you want your lifestyle to be? Yeah. 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 And I started to realize that, I I wanted to be working on a project for, you know, months, if not if not years. You know, like that was the thing that that, that kind of would, mm-hmm. would would get me excited to really, you know, put more of myself into something for a longer period of time. And so that meant sort of turning away from commercials a little bit more entirely and sort of diving back into film and TV. So did you leave your reps or and things like that, or is it just kind of No, like I just kind you of ghosted on them. I, I didn't exactly ghost on them. I gave them a call and I said, Look, I, I'm gonna focus my, my attention elsewhere. If something comes up, please call me, you know. And you know, I hear from them every now and then and But, but honestly, what there isn't that much you can do. I'm actually asking you for me personally, yeah, yeah. like what can you do between those opportunities? Between like, hey, somebody liked your real you know, you, mm-hmm. we, you're going to pitch on this. Mm-hmm. What do you do between those calls? It's not like you're going to just sit there and 
you know, re-edit your work right. to work on your commercial career. Or you're going to yeah. call someone or you're going to go to a party to right. create a network. It's like you have your production company that's yeah. repping you and well, there's I, not much you can do. I think there is like kind of a, a culture of advertising that we, as people who kind of came at it sideways, maybe aren't as engaged in as we mm-hmm. could be. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I was talking with a friend the other day, you know, he was really debating whether he just kind of really dives in headlong into that. But like, you know, there are screenings and like industry parties and commissioners to get to know. You could you could play that game for right. sure. There are things you can do right. the same way you have to network for, you know, TV and film. And everyone has right. their own ecosystem. A counterpoint. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. And this is kind of think the third the third leg in that sort of decision to sort of move away from TV. The first being, you know, of, of the difficulties of making something good and creative. The second being sort of the heat dying, you know. The third is... I think that the advertising industry is changing very, very mm. dramatically. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, yeah. I think a lot of advertisers are taking money out of TV, putting mm-hmm. them into other things. I don't think, I think everyone is sort of like flailing and trying to figure it out, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, I mean, I spent a while talking to people and like sitting down with, with directors, big directors, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I think that like a lot of directors who have really established themselves and really sort of mm-hmm. like made it. Are okay, right, right, and a lot of every, like a the lot name of, brand guys are yeah, fine, yeah, yeah. yeah, and a lot of other people are, are kind of struggling a little bit, you know, because it just because everything's changing and no one quite knows, you know, like what, what to do, what yeah. to do, you know. Yeah, no, I guess that makes sense. I'm kind of thinking of like, you know, when I was an intern at the director's bureau, we mm-hmm. would go to like res screenings and stuff like that. You know, right. when were you an intern? I know it was a long time ago. That's <laughs> yeah, what I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. yeah like the, the certainly the game has changed. Yeah, but, no, and of course you can become friends with sales agents and go to like meet marketing people and mm-hmm. it, yeah but the problem is it's like there's so many people involved in the decision of who the director is oh yeah and they there's people don't even realize like the mm-hmm. ceo of walmart doesn't realize that when he says we want to diversify our creative that means they're not going to hire like a white director you know mm-hmm. like like it, it's just so out of your control as opposed to yeah. like and oftentimes you don't even find out. Yeah. yeah. In film, you could literally meet like you know, producer, an executive yeah, at Paramount yeah. or producer mm-hmm, yeah. and say, hey, here's my log line. Right. You want to mm-hmm. check out my treatment? And then here's my And script. then go have a meeting. Yeah. No, yeah. That, that's true. That's true. And I think really, like if you dive too far into that ecosystem, you just end up becoming a creative director. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, like you just get the staff job. You're still super creative. You get more say than a director anyway. You know, before you know it, you're just, you know, at Saatchi or somewhere. Right, right, right. right. This is a really dumb question, but I'm curious what you guys think. How many, like, working commercial directors do you think there are in America? <laughs> like, over a thousand, like, mm-hmm. that that direct three or more commercials a year? I bet it's shockingly low. Yeah, and what, do you mean broadcast commercials, or are you lumping in... TV commercials. TV, TV commercials. Yeah, I bet it's probably... Well, I'm, you know, you look at like a Pretty Bird or an RSA or something mm-hmm. like that. Their roster's on the high end, 30 people, right? Right. And most of those people are not Most working. of them are not working. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, they, like, they did a great feature or something. Yeah, like on yeah. most of those rosters, I think, like I've I've done some research into this and it's like something like like 10 to 20% of the rosters are working regularly. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes you sense. Know? And like how many Pretty Birds are there? Right. Right. right? Like, let's say 30, right? Maybe? Probably at the top, yeah. the high end. Yeah, yeah. right. Like, yeah, that, that seems, I'm yeah. kind of trying to be as generous yeah. as possible. My yeah. guess, my like just pie in the sky guess is like 300. 
300 directors. So when you're up for a job that's, let's say, a medium budget job, like a mm-hmm. three to $500,000 mm-hmm. spot, mm-hmm. one day shoot. Right. How many directors do you think you're up against that would t- that would be willing and excited to pitch to write a treatment for that job? You know, like, I don't know if you if Errol Morris is probably not right. is out of that league. But but I mean, it's never quite like, you know, because because they're always going to narrow the pool dramatic you know they're they're gonna say like okay we're gonna start yeah. with with five names yeah like and, oh the, and these are the companies know. that we like best and it's not because, it's not like and they don't like look at every director out there it's right. just you know they they're like oh i want to talk to this sales agent this month you know so yeah let's no go but the or, sales- or they go oh it's funny let's go to hungry man or it's oh it needs to be stylized let's go to pretty bird but there you are know? a bunch of sales agents and they each sales agent represents a bunch of production companies and each production company represents a bunch of directors yeah. so it's like if someone says, if Pepsi says, hey, we're looking for a director for this fun, like, millennial influencer mm-hmm. TV spot about, you know, mm-hmm. like, Pepsi and Doritos is having a contest. They're probably getting approached by, like, 20 sales agents. Well, they have their agency, right? And the agency probably talks to, like, 10 sales agents who are pitching, like, 30 companies who are pitching, like, 90 directors, don't you think? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, just because for some of the, I've talked to these, these, I've talked, except for a while when I was getting started, I really wanted to learn the process. And so mm-hmm. I would finish a job, try to make friends with, like, the producer and just right. be like, you know, how's, how's this working? Yeah, go take you know? or whatever. Yeah. You know, it was, like, I think in terms of, like, a job, they would watch maybe 10 reels, you know, when like considering who who to go after and then like check availabilities on five people and get like three to five treatments, you know, that seemed to be at least for the, I mean, I was, you know, I was doing like the $200,000 range stuff, you know, but I don't know. I can't imagine it's that different. Yeah. No, I think, I think that makes sense. I guess like there is some comfort in knowing that you're only up against nine other people, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. There, there are a lot of TV commercials. I guess my, I'm trying to find some light. Yeah, yeah, sorry, <laughs> like sorry. Silver lining. Mean to, to well, bring it down. I mean, I think like the real difference is just like Eric just learned that he didn't love them enough to want to waste right. his time on it, right? And like right. that makes complete sense. That's totally fine. Like some people like making some. I knew dudes who like dreamt of doing car commercials, like in yeah. film school, like. That's yeah. what I want to do is just car commercials. I'm a car guy. Yeah. And then like they just go out and do it and love it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's if, 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 if that excites you, then you should be doing it and you will probably do better than I did, you know? But if you're, if it's like, well, it's just my, it's just my way to pay the bills. And I really want to do X. You should probably be doing X. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There are easier ways to pay the bills, right? Yeah. Well, but would you say feature film or TV directing is easier than commercial directing no but i'm I'm, we're saying like if you realize that you don't love directing commercials which is a competitive and hard thing to do then it's worth shifting away to do something else either something that you love or something that's easy right right yeah like it's not like it's not like it's not like directing commercials is a safety school yeah yeah. you know (laughs) it's still incredibly difficult (laughs) and incredibly competitive you know so if you're going to pick an incredibly difficult competitive thing to do pick the thing that really excites you and you know okay so sorry so let's get back on track so yeah you decided tv was more something you want to focus on than film well not exactly so i decided that it was film or tv you know and i have a long history of editing films and i knew i knew that from my, from my experience working as an editor in films that there wasn't a clear path from editing films 
to directing films, mm-hmm. but there was a clear path from editing TV to directing TV. So knowing that I decided it was worth investing some time into sort of, you know, editing TV and sort of making some connections and sort mm-hmm. of exploring that world. But at the same time, I still, I'm still very engaged in the film world. I'm, I'm reading a lot of scripts. I'm still, you know, doing meetings. I've got a meeting at Sony tomorrow, you know, like I'm doing that, but you know, look at this is, this is the, this is the, we all have to pay the bills, right. you know? And so, you know, you can, you can pay the bills by, Chasing commercials, you can pay the bills by editing or doing VFX or, or something, you know, right. but that's the reality. Well, and also I think, you know, feature films are kind of a long-term game, right? Yes. So like, so you can edit TV and like have a flourishing, you know, TV career shadow move up the ladder and still be working on your movies. You know totally. what I mean? Like at kind of at the same pace, regardless of what you're doing with the rest of your time. Yeah, right? exactly. But exactly. isn't, isn't editing, I mean, you're editing Veep right now. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like an intense job yeah but i mean god i feel like this is not going to be you know (laughs) applicable to anyone in the world but me but basically like i don't know editing at this point in my career i can't do with my eyes closed but it's like it comes easy it comes easy you know and so it can be intense it can be long hours but i i leave and i'm not 100% 100% drained. I'm like mm-hmm. 80% drained. <laughs> and I can spend that other 20% energy doing something else, you know? So yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, that was, and that was something I just, I was, I wondered about and, and discovered was relievedly the case. It's not a word, but you know, so the first TV show I signed on for last year was the good place, which I thoroughly enjoyed. And then started Veep also last year. And uh, both of those shows, you know, I really enjoy working on them. They're, I learned a lot and I felt like it was about 60% of the stress, anxiety, and mm-hmm. amount of draining, yeah. emotionally draining as of editing movies. Yeah, the quality of life. Interesting. It, it, you can't be breakneck speed on TV just because you're working for so much longer, right? Like. There's just the schedule wise, you know, you burn everyone out that you have to have, you have built in hiatuses and. Yeah. I think the main thing is the hiatus is like, like, you know, you do have this built in hiatus also in between episodes. Like, so so there's multiple editors on TV Mm -hmm. generally, you know, sometimes three, usually like two. So there are two editors on Veep and they'll shoot an episode and I'll edit it and it'll be intense and I'll work really hard and then I'll finish it and they'll still be shooting the other guy's episode you know, and I have a couple of days downtime or, you know, not necessarily downtime, but I'm polishing. I'm not really like, you know, it's on a, it's on a mad dash. And then the next one starts. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like this nice little rhythm and, mm-hmm. and you know, and like I always know because there's a schedule of shooting, I always know exactly right. when I can schedule a meeting. Or something you can be like, like honey, yeah. it's a show week. Like, don't, you know, don't make dinner plans. Yeah, or like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And is Veep's a 30 minute show? Veep's a 30 minute show. Yeah. And how many days do you have to edit it? You know, the schedule is pretty nice. They basically give me like two weeks to edit it. I can usually get an episode done in like eight days. Mm-hmm. So that's why I kind of like have like a little bit of, of cushion at the end. You know? And then like in terms of notes and sessioning and that sort of stuff, like like I know you have to like watch down with, you know, mm-hmm. studios and all of that stuff. Like yeah. I imagine that the further along it gets, the the easier those applying those notes becomes, right? So... Veep is special because it's HBO and HBO tends to be very hands-off. Mm. So they they have very few notes. Mm-hmm. Not because they're not concerned about quality, but because they hire really good people who know right. what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
The Good Place was a network show, but the showrunner is Mike Schur of right. yeah, Parks yeah. and Rec and Brooklyn Nine-Nine fame, you know, and so the studio would have a note. And if it was a note that was helpful, we would do it. If it wasn't, we wouldn't. Right. It's, and it's Mike Schur. So what are you going to say? Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. You know, so yeah, so I've gotten kind of lucky in those. I mean, you know, I think if I was working on like, like a show that was like a, a new showrunner didn't know what he was doing, you know, like, like again, it's like my film experience has been the same, you know, when I'm editing a movie for someone who's a pro who knows what they want, who knows how to make a movie. It's not that hard. Right. right. You know, it's like when, it's like when there's people who either haven't done it before or just are unsure of themselves. Like that's when it gets complicated. That's when it gets hard. No, that makes sense. And so eight days, does that include like a day with the director and a day with the producers? No. So, um, that's just my cut. And then the director gets two days and then the producers usually get a week. Oh, wow. And do you have like a rough cut on day one or how, like, or like an assembly? I usually have an assembly after like six days. Oh, really? It takes six days for the 30 minutes. Yeah. Because they shoot six days. So I usually keep up. Oh, you're, you're cutting as as they shoot, they're starting to send you footage, Exactly, but it's not in order or anything. No, correct. So they, he has an AE like stringing out and stuff, right? Or no? Um, no. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Just, um, I do some sort of organizational stuff, but you know, I have an AE, I mean, sure, yeah, sure, but, of course, but, yeah, yeah. but maybe just the term stringing out, I don't do string outs, but the point be, is that I can usually edit a day of footage in a day. So right. they shoot for 12 hours on a Monday, but at the end of day Tuesday, I can have all that edited. And are they like syncing and every, the audio and everything that night, Monday night? Yes. So we have a guy overnight who's our dailies guy who does he does the transcoding he does the syncing these days it's like they 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 use this like digital stuff to like all syncing is automatic he basically he actually it's actually funny he does it remotely oh. so <laughs> so they literally just take the the s by x card plug it into his system he logs in remotely and just you know it has like a bunch of scripts and it, it's all it's all very oh wow futuristic does he label the clips like you know, yep. shot of Julia, close up. No, he, no, he doesn't describe them. He just, it, uh, this, the clips get the name of the setup and the take number. Like 1A take exactly. 3 or whatever. Exactly. So um, I'm curious because yeah. when I edit, I always like to describe, like to just write like medium shot of Mike or whatever. The reason why that's that? not helpful with Veep and with The Good Place is they shoot everything with at least three cameras. Mm-hmm. So essentially... You could label it like medium, you know, like cross, cross and wide or something, you know, but it's like, it's just much more easier just to see it. So I edit it with, with, with all thumbnails with my, well, I edit, you know, I load a clip into the, into the viewer and I've got all three cameras just and there multi- and, oh, I see, I see. and I can see, I can clip it and I can just see what it, what it looks like. And, and it's funny because it's Veep is a, because Veep is a sort of a documentary style show, mm-hmm. it's kind of less important to like do the like you know, master close, you know, like it, like you almost kind of don't want to do that because you want it to feel as kind of raw and, mm-hmm. and rough as possible. And you guys are like zooming, it's all handheld and yeah, stuff. So yeah, like yeah. So a lot of times, transferring yeah, and stuff a lot of times I'm actually just scanning for like interesting camera moves, mm-hmm. you know, like if there's a camera that moves from like Tony Hale to Julie Wood Drive is like at the perfect moment. I'm mm-hmm. like, yes, that's going in. Yeah. Yeah. Know, no matter what. And, you know, and so do you feel like the camera operators are part of the storytelling, like oh, they're yeah. punching up hundred moments. Yeah, hundred percent. They can totally ruin or save a joke. Absolutely, just by whether they've they've made this the the switch pan at the right moments. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so much of the timing of the show is like in in those movements. 
There's a great, it's an episode last season called Mother that I, is that the one where Selena's mom has died? Yes. I think that's the funniest episode it's of the series. It's probably the best it's episode so, they've done. Yeah, it's so good. Uh, the director of that episode was just today nominated for a DGA award. Oh, great. And there's a scene in that in that episode where the doctor tells Selena that her mother's died. Mm-hmm. And almost all the humor is in the camera because there are essentially like four characters there but you don't know that at first. At first, you just see the doctor and Selena, mm-hmm. and it's all one take. And the camera just sort of, at the exact right moment, moves to reveal her daughter standing there, mm-hmm. and then moves to reveal Tony Hill. And like each of them is like in a more feverish state of being upset. And Julia is just like completely just not phased by the fact that her mother. I mean, she's like sure, yeah. you know, holding in it, whatever. But it's an incredible comic, you know, scenario that is completely driven by camera moves and reveals and it's pretty amazing and was it were those camera moves in the script no no i actually talked to the director about it and that was something that they just kind of found on the day really yeah 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 wow and so just to geek out on editing for yeah. a moment did you like how do you approach a scene in veep like i think it's interesting that you're you're saying yeah. you, you don't do a master close-up close close how do you you know you- i mean in comedy you know, I, I so I think of comedy as essentially like there are like these buoys in the scene. There's like these waypoints mm-hmm. that are the jokes, you know, and the key is to get to those waypoints in a timely fashion. And once you're there to like, you know, you, you have to make sure that it's protected. The joke basically is, mm-hmm. you know, executed in the best way possible, you know. So a lot of times what I'll do, and I don't always do this, but a lot of times what I'll do is I'll go through and I'll just watch the joke. Mm-hmm. You know, like I know, okay, that like, like you read the script and you're like, okay, there's, there's three lines in this that are the jokes, you know? And so I'll go in and I'll just say, okay, well here, here's the take that best executes that joke. And mm-hmm. here's the, oh, this, oh, this camera move is perfect for this joke. And then this performance from, you know, whoever, Sam Richardson is like perfect for this joke. And I lay those in that, that is thought the anchors of mm-hmm. my scene. And then it's just about getting there. And it doesn't matter if it's a close-up, medium, matter. camera move. I mean, sometimes it matters, you know. I mean, if you need to see someone's reaction and they're standing next to them, you want to be in a medium, you know. But for the most part, it's just like I use those as the anchors. And then it's about how do I get there? And you don't want to like, you know, you want to get there in an elegant way. So you don't want you don't necessarily want to, you know, like sometimes a cut can ruin a joke. Because if you're like, if you're like, cut here's a joke haha you know especially on veep it doesn't necessarily work so sometimes it's about making sure that you're you know you're you're you can sit on that shot long enough that it that the joke happens organically you know but yeah i sort of start with these little islands and then kind of like build up from there and then like comparing good place the good place which is also comedy Mm -hmm. and veep like how much style do you get when you start working? Like, do they say like, this is a really cutty show or we try to never cut unless we absolutely have to. I mean, good place is the first season show, right? So a lot of it, we were sort of figuring out as we went along. Veep is a six season show. So the style is fairly well established, but an entirely new creative team took over in season five. So in in a weird way, it's like a second season show. I mean, a lot of the things that, you know, there's still there's still a lot of stylistic elements that, that stayed from the first four seasons, but 
some of them are rethought, you know. And so it's the nice thing about doing a show that, that where there's been other seasons, you know, like there's a big, I was cutting a, a scene last week where there's a big ballroom, you know, and I was like, oh, well, there's an episode last season where they did a big ballroom. So I'm going to watch that scene and see how they did it and see how they moved around and see how much background music they used. And, you know, it doesn't mean I have to slavishly copy that, but it's just a nice template to sort of say like, okay, this worked really well. Mm-hmm. Mm, this didn't work as well. Maybe I can improve on that, you know, that kind of thing. Which is, I think that's a big part of the reducing and in stress and anxiety from, from film. Sure, because yeah, in film, yeah. you're... You're not starting from scratch. You're starting from scratch every time yeah. in film. You know, you're, right. you're, you're remaking the wheel. Or sometimes you're trying, like you cut a scene and it feels too traditional. Or mm-hmm. like yeah. you've seen that scene before and so you're trying to find ways to make it fresh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But in, but in TV, it's much more of a kind of like, well, this is the language of the show, so we'll just stick to it, you know? yeah. Stuff. I feel like I just want to come shadow you, just sit on. Yeah, anytime. Watch you cut. Seriously, come by. Like, do they have insert shots on Veep? Rarely. They try to do it where it's a, it's all on camera. So it's like you know, someone's looking at a, t- at a, at a screen. You know, it's like mm-hmm. face down the screen, back up to the face. You know, or like a document. If they read something, how how would you edit that? Or do they never read stuff off the screen? Or, off or like cell, paper. cell phones maybe are kind of an easier example. Rarely. But it's all reactions, right? Yeah, yeah. there's rarely, I, there's almost never just a straight insert. In fact, that was actually an issue. There was some, there was a, there's a running gag of about people looking at something on an iPad in the episode that we're working on now. And they didn't get enough shots of the iPad. <laughs> we actually have to try to tell them, like, you guys might need to do an insert. <laughs> was it a practical, like, iPad, or is VFX they add? It's VFX, it? but it's never, like, hung on the iPad long enough, really. To- well, it makes sense, though, because that show, like, so much of it is just, like, the swarm of people around oh, Selena, yeah. like, explaining the context for, like, why this tweet was weird or whatever. So, like, yeah. I imagine it's probably pretty rare that you would really need uh, even, like... To, to pan down to yeah, the, to yeah. the there's very device. little visual comedy in the yeah. show i mean i can think of offhand like the five really big visual jokes in the, in the show you know it's almost yeah. all dialogue yeah humor you know right. no wonder i like it so much <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever retime shots to make them work for pacing or anything definitely do that in the good place haven't done it yet on veep just because the rhythm is so locked in by the cast to a certain extent and also just because you know, like retiming shots is a lot easier to do when it's not all handheld. Veep is all handheld. Mm-hmm. You know, right. and are you doing like split screens on the Good Place and stuff? Or like, how is it? Like, split or screen, like digital split. A lot screen. of digital split screens mm-hmm. on, the, on the Good Place. Less so on Veep. And just to explain to our listeners, by split screen, yeah. you mean you're you're using two different performances from different takes, or exactly. retiming performances. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, basically, the thing about you know, like, look, the Good Place is. Ted Danson, Kristen Bell, and a bunch of other incredibly talented actors. They're great. But, you know, modern comedy is very, very fast. It's way faster right. than... Than a human speaks. <laughs> than a human speaks yeah. or, or interacts or that kind of thing, you know. And so something that feels completely normal and organic on set, when you're editing it down to 21, 30, you know, 20 minutes, 30 seconds, it feels let in and you sometimes just have to punch it up. And so sometimes we, we combine different takes using digital split screens to make that happen. Yeah. And not to nerd out too yeah. much, but are you taking those out to VFX and then getting them temped? Or are you just temping them Great in question. yourself? We usually temp in a bad version. Mm-hmm. I'd say 90% of them are done by 
Universal Post, which is just our online. So the, the, basically the color guy is mm-hmm. just doing them. Oh, interesting. Because, you know, in the, the Da Vinci, it's... Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's actually... It's pretty deep. It's, it's like watching magic happen. Yeah, here, right? yeah, yeah. Every now and then there's one that's super complicated where there has to be some roto and we have our vendor, which was Digital Domain, do them. And at what point um, do you guys decide, like, okay, like we definitely want to use these two takes. We definitely want to merge them, like send them out to universal post and then like who, at what point is, is it no longer okay to show the temp version to we people? pretty much keep the temp version into the very very end okay yeah, yeah. And it's it's basically so like studio people are studio seeing people it, are yeah. seeing it yeah. it's fine yeah. are you it's involved because, in color and any of that stuff so it's a funny thing there's a big difference between tv and film in film the editor is essentially the head of post mm. right you know so editor is essentially supervising mm-hmm. sound and color and VFX. Because right. the director's long gone, right? And the producers are typically yeah. writing. Is that the situation? Is that why? Yeah, in, in TV. In, 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 in TV. film. Yeah. I'm talking about. Oh, oh, I see. In film. In TV, it's very different. Okay. In TV, editor is a much kind of less important position, which I has see. actually been like a weird adjustment for me. Yeah. And, and one that I haven't been dealing with well. So the way that I've been dealing with it is essentially forcing my way into these situations. <laughs> so I just show up at the mix and I just show up at the ADR and, and, and so on and so forth. And in the beginning, people were kind of weirded out. And then eventually they were like, oh, you know, it's actually really good having the editor here because he's the one or she's the one who knows the episode better than pretty much anyone. Right. You right. know, so I like to think that I'm doing my part to change the culture of yeah. <laughs> TV posts. I actually know other editors who've been sort of trying to make this change. I think it's, I think it, it just makes sense. You know? Yeah. I wonder if maybe there are kind of like union rules. No, like, no, does no, it get no, sticky no. With It's that just tradition. No? It's just, it's just, you know, the TV is a, is a writer's medium. It's literally, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and so generally it's, it's run, there's a showrunner or writer producers who sort of are in charge of that kind of thing. And I think, I think TV is getting much more ambitious. I mean, it has been for years. We sure. all know this, but even a show like, you know, like the good place is a much more ambitious half hour comedy than would have been possible 10 years ago, you know, yeah, or, or even like, yeah. five, you know, I mean, like, you know, there's there's a crazy VFX, dozens of VFX yeah. in every episode. There's you know, there's a lot of it's it's complicated, and so that's why I I, I feel like it's you know I've been pushing myself into the more of the kind of process of, of finishing these TV shows, but sort of bring back to directing because that's what this podcast is about, right? You know, I mean, I, I it's funny because I, I I touched on this briefly earlier, the sort of personality, like what kind of personality type are you, you know? And um, you know, I in order to do, I think well a lot of what you guys do of just sort of like, you know, like constantly hustling mm-hmm. and like constantly like making, you know, forging new connections and, and following up with and people, follow, yeah, all that yeah. stuff, you know, the grind of yeah. finding work. I, I don't know. I think that I ultimately was not that great at that. You know, I think I was okay at it, but I don't know that I was good enough to like really, you know, make that my career. Yeah, but this is the guy that was like had never edited TV before and was like, oh, I want to edit TV. And then like a week later, you're editing like an NBC show. Yeah, but that's because I spent 10 years as a feature film editor and feature film is still top of the heap, you know. So when I was like, it was like, oh, okay, the guy that edited The Dictator wants to do my TV show. Great, let's hire him, you know. So, you know, it's not a, it's not exactly analogous, but. Well, but it, it is still a hustle, right? You know, you you still had to be like, oh, okay, well, mm-hmm. I don't want to do this thing. I've got this resume. Yeah, I do want to do this other thing. How can I make what I've done and my experience? How do how can I parallel that as quickly as possible? I think it's a really good point. I think I think I think to a to a certain extent, 
in order to be successful as a director in any, you know, in film, television, TV, commercial, you have to be somewhat of a hustler. I just think it's a matter of degrees. Sure, sure. You know, and so I think what I realized was uh, the, the kind of hustle that I felt like I could pull off mm-hmm. is the hustle where I say, okay, I've got this skill, I'm an editor, and I can go in and I can edit your TV show and you do a great job. And there's like no better way to prove that you get the show. Yeah. Yeah. And I can really learn the show and I can really learn the, you know, and get to know people even when there's a mixed down session and the editor isn't normally there. You get a little more face time. Exactly. Exactly. And really kind of like push my way into the heart of the show and then, and then, and be very upfront about the fact like, Hey, I want to direct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I said that when I first met Mike Schur, who ran the good show, the good place, I said, you know, I, I want to direct. How did he react to that? You know, you're kind of like reading the tea leaves a little bit. You know, it's like no one's going to come out and say like, like, great, there's a slot, you know, for episodes eight open. You can have it. You know, like that's just that's not going to happen. But you can sort of you can say you can, you know, someone can say like, oh, well, uh," you know, and then you're like, okay, I mean, that's not going to happen. Or I mean, basically, Mike was just like, yeah, I'm open to that, (laughs) you know. So, again, like it's like it's never it's never a sure thing. But um, (laughs) unintended. Yeah. And so, you know, Veep is a little bit, you know, Veep, Veep was a calculated decision. I was essentially told that Veep was an incredible long shot to direct mm-hmm. because there's only 10 episodes. Right. And because it's arguably the best comedy on television. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so it's an Emmy factory. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, right. like, there's a long list of directors who are, who are waiting to do it. But, you know, I figured somehow it would help me in the long run. I don't know. Well, I, <laughs> definitely <laughs> having editing Veep. And the good place on your resume when you're trying to direct a TV show is, does not hurt. Yeah, I wonder if you should just um, find a worse show to work on. Right? I absolutely was a big, big decision. I mean, I you know, not that there was any particular bad show that I was up for or anything like that, but but yeah, I mean, you know, you and when I say, I'm joking, but I mean like less competitive. No, no, show. no you're right. I mean, like you know, CBS is making 24 or 22 episodes of mom. Right. You know, right. Which, which, which is a great show, which is it. <laughs> I, yeah. Actually I, people do. Okay. Like, yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't, I didn't bring um, it up because I thought it was bad, sure, but no, like, no, it's just a very, it's like a middle of the road. That's a multi-cam show. Though, yeah. Right? It's a multi-cam show. Ah, okay. Yeah. Bad example then actually. But, but like, you know, season eight of, you know, pretty little liars is not anymore, but like something like that, where it's like, there's right. still like, you can like flex your muscles a little bit. Yeah, there's a yeah, big yeah. order, but it's not, yeah. You know, you're not yeah. fighting the guy who just won Sundance to yeah. go direct. But anyway, yeah. So, so you know, so basically, the the right now, I'm I'm working my way into into prestige TV and and telling everyone I want to direct, and and that's sort of the plan. You know, that's my that's my uh, that's my modest hustle that so, I can do while I get paid to edit. So, what's the next move? We're gonna find out if good the good place is renewed very soon. I think you know, I'll I'll sit down with the showrunner and the producer and say. I want to come back and I want to direct. And if they say no, then I will have to think about <laughs> what yeah. to do next. That's well, it's right. helpful. Your showrunner has three TV shows on right now. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing. Yeah. you know, it's like, it's like, okay, give me an episode of Brooklyn nine, nine. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It's all just, and do you think you're only primed to direct comedy? Mm, I think that in this industry, the more you can stay on brand in the beginning, the better, mm-hmm. you know? Right. And clearly my brand is comedy. Because we had um, Matt Barber on the podcast a couple of times. I think I might have told you about him. He's our, my friend that edits Chuck. He was the editor on the OC and then uh-huh. Chuck and then a bunch of shows. But he the directed 100. The 100. He mm-hmm. directed iZombie. 
Mm-hmm. And he got all those jobs by saying they're them saying like, we really want you to edit this. Right. And he said, I will if you let me direct an episode. Yeah. But those there's comedic elements to iZombie and the whole premise is a, you know, a woman that sure. eats people's brains to find out the details of their life. But it's it's not a traditional comedy. It's like a CW right. like yeah. teen. It's like a CW procedural, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Is that something that that type of genre something yeah, that you would be open to? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think I think I think the smart move really is to try to find something along those lines. You know, where it's not one of the top right three or a new show, right? Like we yeah. didn't know Good Place was going to be good when it first right. came out, right? Like you have it's a safe bet, but like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's not like people are vying for it, right? Like you, we can all name like the ten or twenty shows that like everyone we know would kill to direct for right, right? like they're the, the prestige cable stuff right, right? Right, right but yeah i think that is interesting to kind of like yeah you know get into an institution or like you know brooklyn 99 is on like season five five I or six say. yeah yeah they're getting up there yeah, yeah so maybe something yeah. like that yeah they filmed some scenes right here in front of my house oh, uh, nice. on dylan street so oh it's the well. closest they came to directing it <laughs> <laughs> and the thing and then and so for people who, who don't know TV is a a club. It's a club more than anything else is a club. And that once you get one episode, you're in the club. It's not, yeah. not to mean that you're working nonstop or anything like that, but it's like one episode leads to something else, which leads to something, yeah. you know, and, and, and getting that first episode is a bitch, you know, and it's, and it's, I don't, I actually spent a lot of time talking to people about how you get your first TV episode and people are, you know, no one had a good answer. Everyone, everyone did it a different way. It's not even, you know, it's like, I mean, with, with film, it's like, it's hard, but it's like, there's these, you know, you direct a movie and you get into a good right. festival and then. Yeah. You produce your first one on your own and yeah. like, you know, you work yeah. your way up. Yeah. There's no real equivalent for TV, yeah. you yeah. know? So that's kind of part of why I, I took this path of just sort of being like, well, I have my, I have, I have my back door. I have my, my, my secret way in. And, and once I, hopefully the idea is once I'm in this club, then. I'm doing fun, good work. Yeah. Well, and it, it's so much easier just to say yes to a person who's already done it, right? Like, mm-hmm. there's so many people out there, you know, who have, right? Like, I, I would say there's more working TV directors than there are working commercial directors right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, Maybe. There's just there's so much TV yeah. happening. Right. right. I mean, there's over 500 um, yeah. the scripted shows, shows right scripted now. Scripted shows, yeah. 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 But there are directors, there are TV directors that are working pretty much every week. Oh, yeah. Well, different shows. I, I think like a, a like a busy TV schedule is like, you know, five or six episodes a year. I feel like that's I cranking. Think it's more. You think it's more? Yeah, I I know I know people that are doing like ten, twelve. Yeah, but yeah. even still, let's that's. that's again, we're talking. Yeah. Right? We're talking about single cam shows because yeah. those like yeah. you know the yes. same guy yeah, directs not, not like every episode yeah, of yeah, Big yeah, Bang yeah, Theory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Single cam because you're basically yeah. So what you're t- you're talking essentially like a week of prep. For, for, for half our comedy, a right. week of prep, a week of shooting, maybe two days in the editing room. Yeah. So that's two and a half weeks, say. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's that's part of the attraction is that like, you know. Sure, yeah. If you're, if you're basically spending you like. You make like $36,000 in that two and a half weeks. Yeah. That yeah. DGA minimum. Right, right, right. right. For network or for network. anything? Network. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah, I don't know if there's a difference between network and cable. I bet there is, but maybe you could tell us. I don't know. I'm always, I'm always, I, I met a lot of TV directors on these two shows and 
haven't quite gotten to the point where I'm asking them how much they're making. <laughs> well, I mean, minimums are available. Like you True. can just look Good at the rate card, right? Like, I mean, can't you just look at what kind of car they drive? <laughs> they drive, they drive nice cars. Okay. You know, who drives the nicest. A cars. lot of Teslas. The DP drives a nice car always, mm. right? Cause they use the same one guy more yeah. or less for every episode. Right. right? And he like owns all the equipment. Yeah. There you Cash go. And checks. Everyone listening to this podcast, become a DP. <laughs> yeah. No joke though. Yeah. You get, you least amount of prep. Yeah. The greatest creative influence, and then yeah. you're done. Peace and everyone done. loves you. Yeah. Like, yeah, your job is easy. You don't have to carry anything. You just be <laughs> creative and awesome. Well, we should probably wrap this up, but are there any last tips if we have any listeners that are interested in getting into TV? <laughs> I mean, I do. Th- I mean, look, I've always said, I think I've said this in the previous podcast, that editing is a great way into directing, you know, not just uh, from a strategic you know, getting the job kind of way, but just actually learning the craft, learning from, I mean, you know, we, again, we, I think we've talked about this, but like directors don't often learn from each other. Right. Yeah. We don't visit each other's sets often. You know, if we do, it's like a quick visit. We're not like really studying how, how we work, you know, but as an editor, you get to see how all, like a ton of directors work. If you're on TV, I mean, you, you know, you get to work with, you know, five to 10 different directors a year you know, and you learn a ton from every one of them. And so I think, I think editing, you know, it's a, it's like a basically film school and you get paid well. <laughs> right. So, uh, so yeah. So I think, you know, if you're, if you're struggling and you don't know how to break into the industry, uh, pick up a download, a copy of avid media composer. It's, you can get a free 30 day trial <laughs> at avid.com and, uh, and teach yourself how to edit. Yeah. I would say the one other way into TV that we've heard, we've had guests on our podcast that have taken this other route which is to sell a show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, then, and not, in fact, the bar isn't as high as it used to be. I mean, right, I think it's just as competitive, so. maybe more competitive, but you can sell. I mean, we've had so many people on here There's that have like, sold the show to True TV. You yeah. Know? yeah, 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 100%. Yeah, no, if you have an idea for a TV show, you should be out there <laughs> trying to sell it. <laughs> Selling Q1 right now, right? Yeah, there yeah. you go. Cool. Well, cool. so let's move on to unpaid endorsements. So I read, you know, everyone's doing like the year in review lists, right? And so like everyone's like movies, TV, all that stuff. But Comic Book Resource did their list of best comics of 2016. And number one is a comic called Vision, right? Like as in the Avenger Vision, the, the synthesoid robot, which, you know, I don't know about you guys, but who gives a fuck about Vision, right? It's incredible. It's like so good. And it's basically, it's about after Vision and Scarlet Witch break up, he builds his own synthesoid robot family and he moves to the suburbs of DC and he's got a wife and two kids. One's like a little boy, like a preteen, teen, and then a 16 year old daughter and like a robot dog. And they try to like live like a suburban lifestyle. And it's so well crafted. The art is incredible. The jokes are really great, and it is heartbreaking. It's so sad, and it's just about a sad robot superhero who wants to be a normal person, and for the life of him, can't. And it's great, and it's like um just twelve episodes. The whole series is done, uh, and I highly recommend Vision. Wow, and how do you find it? Comicsology is probably the easiest way, but it's a it's in two trades now. So there's volume one and volume two. That's great. So it's actually funny that you bring that up because I recently sort of dove back into comics. Oh, right. Um, I used to read. You know, I used to be a big. I was a big Vertigo kid. Okay, all right, yeah. Sandman and Hellblazer, yeah, yeah. Animal Man, and you know all that stuff. 
and I recently sort of dived back in, and I and I and I've and I've read a couple things that I like. The, the one that I'm reading right right now is Saga. Have you read any of Saga? Yeah, I love yeah. Saga. Yeah, so Saga is Brian K. Vaughn is the writer who's sort of you know a sort of fairly legendary yeah, writer. He's the guy. He's yeah. the guy, and and Fiona Staples is the artist. Um, who's who's incredible. And you know, it's funny. I don't. I don't. I wouldn't say unreservedly that it's great because there's definitely like a fair amount of cheesy dialogue mm-hmm. and like a fair amount of like there's like you know like plot threads that kind of dangle a lot yeah. and like sometimes there's you know like nothing happens but the, the 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 creativity of the like not just world building like universe building mm-hmm. you know is like pretty astounding i mean there's just like he kind of just like casually throws off these like wildly creative ideas in every episode where he just like you know every issue one issue is like they just go to up they're like they're like on a planet and it turns out the planet is like essentially like a planetoid size venus flytrap where every piece of food that you eat like you know causes you to have a hallucination of a, a loved one telling you to stay on the planet and like live there and like become like part of the planet, you know? And, and like, you know, just like these like little thrown off like ideas about technology and, 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 you know, fantastical creatures and beings. And I found it very, uh, yeah, no, fun. I, I love it. I, I feel like I read <clears throat> the first, cause they, they'll take a big hiatus. In between, yeah, right? exactly. Like, yeah. Maybe that first run is like immaculate. It's like perfect. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and then it gets a little uneven. Yeah, it gets, and then I kind of stopped reading. So I'll, I'll definitely. I'm glad you reminded me. I should have to. I've only read the first three volumes. Okay, but I think there's. I think the. I think either the fifth or the sixth one is like about to come out. So oh, it's, cool. it's, it's like still ongoing. Awesome. Um, but I, I just, just I recommend just buying like the the trade paperbacks and, and. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer to like read it issue to issue. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Right. Yeah. So you read it on paper. So so basically, yes, yes. So so every so they'll do like six issues and then they'll reprint those six issues in one book and that book you can buy it in a store <laughs> you can also download it you can all if you have an ipad you yeah. can you can download it that kind of thing but i it's like it's like it's like my one like luddite like old man thing is that i just have not gotten into e-reading i just i can't do it let I, me recommend doing doing it specifically comics mm-hmm. on a tablet is i would say maybe a superior mm. situation okay. and also as a bit of a hoarder, mm-hmm. like if I was, if I had all of the comics that I own digitally in my apartment mm-hmm. as well, it would be a real problem. Like right. comics are already right. a problem right. in my apartment, right. so at least like digitally stored, right. they're they're fine. You know. All right. All right. Well, the, my my secret weapon is that I have a I have a friend who I borrow the comics from. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, uh, but in any case, yeah. Well, you know, you can read them in bed, right? That's true. Pretty nice. Yeah. On a plane. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Maybe. Maybe I'll take a dive. So that's your unpaid endorsement, right? Saga. 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 Cool. So I'm gonna just plug this website, wolfcrow.com. Have you guys heard of it? Mm-hmm. No. It's like video essays. I don't know, you know, I'm like addicted to video essays about film stuff. So like right now his newest one is called How to Create Twist Endings and then has one F stop versus T stop. And you know, uh they're not like Tony Zoo, Zoo level mm-hmm. videos like you can tell he just like you know he wanted to do a video on Matthew Labatik so he rented like 10 movies and he cut them together and kind of found his observation on what they all have in common and how his style has evolved and they're they're fine I to me it's like popcorn I just like sometimes I'm trying to procrastinate so I'll just like play 10 of his videos in a cool. row wolfcrow.com wolfcrow like a wolf the like not a dog but a wolf and a crow is a type of bird 
right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Making sure I heard that right. Cool. Well, thanks, Eric, for being on the podcast. Of course. And if people want to learn more about you, ericishack.com. Yeah, that's where you can see all the um, the things that I've directed. And if you want to see what I'm working on as an editor, you can just look me up on IMDb. Oh, cool. Sweet. Well, if you want to learn more about all of the stuff that we talked about, you can visit justshootitpodcast.com and you can follow us on Twitter at justshootitpod. And you can follow me at Mr. Matt Enlow. And me at Smitey Pileg. And please rate us on iTunes if you can get a chance and email us questions. Just shoot at pod at gmail.com. We love to hear from people. This episode was edited by Eric Cropot. Thanks, Eric. Music was by the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.